With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, Hawkeye Nation. This is Joe Hugan, and we have a special guest today. It's going to be a familiar voice for you, the one and only Steve Dace. Steve? Hey, Joe. Thanks for having me on, man. Looking forward to this. Hey, I appreciate you uh, coming and joining the uh, Hawkeye Nation podcast again. And uh, yeah, we got a lot of stuff to talk about, uh, Big Ten and Hawkeyes in general, but uh, just kind of an overview of what the uh, years kind of looked like in uh, the year of COVID in 2020. Um, what are some of your thoughts just in, in general, you know, leading up to uh, this uh, season and kind of all the chaos that's ensued with the Big Ten and some of their decisions? Well, if you look at the year we have had, I mean, I've, I've never seen a year like this and what has gone on. I mean, it is crazy, cosmic, um, providence, um, insane. I mean, it's, it's a lot of different things that have kind of come to a head this year. And it'll, I remember in 2016, you know, 2016, y'all, and go back and look at a bunch of people's tweets along those lines. Yep. But remember in 2016, we had one of the best sports years I ever can ever remember. You had the, the Cubs won the World Series of all things. Yep. Uh, you had LeBron lead the Cavs back from down three to one in the finals to win a game seven on the road at Golden State, you know, for kind of the, the hometown team that he came back to. We had a phenomenal college football championship game that year between uh, Clemson and Alabama, where Clemson uh, had this drive at the end with Deshaun Watson to score with like what was it, like eight seconds left to win the national championship. I think that wasn't that the year of Brady and the Falcons and the comeback in the Super Bowl too, when it was twenty eight to three. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was one of the best sports years we've ever had. Maybe we had like a triple crown winner in there too. Um, that was, and so we had something. You know, we had a divisive election that year too. We had a lot of other things. A lot of it, not quite the level of, of civil unrest and upheaval we have seen this year, but there was a lot of divisive things happening that were kind of nuts that year. But we at least had sports to kind of fall back on and unite us. Yep. And this year, for most of it, we didn't. And I think that made it a lot worse because it was just, you know, I'm reminded the first time I ever met Kirk Ferentz in person was at Iowa Football Media Day in the year 2000. And I was just getting started on sports radio, the jock. And I had only been doing the, my own show there <clears throat> since the end of May. So only for three months. And back then you went out to Iowa city for the day and they served you lunch. And I got to meet Norm Parker and, you know, I grew up watching Norm as the defensive coordinator for Michigan state. And it just so happened that I got assigned to his table and he wanted to get to know all the media guys there. And when he came around to get to know me, my background growing up in Michigan and, all the time that he spent there. And I remember a lot of those games and him and I got to be really good friends. And so like every year we would have a lunch together when I would go out there. Yes. And, uh, and, and I remember the first time I met Kirk Ferentz, he had not yet signed his contract with Iowa. There was a big co debate with him and Bob Bolsby. 
who I've reconnected with this year in about the weirdest way possible. And you can ask me about it later if you want. But um, <clears throat> uh, he had not yet signed his contract with Bullsby because of the exit language. He didn't like the exit clauses. And I went out there with one of the guys that helped get me started in sports talk radio uh, by the name of Bob Dyer. Uh, and Bob had been a fixture in Des Moines sports media for many, many years. And he took me out to Iowa Football Media Day with him that first time to kind of meet the people and get to know the lay of the land. And he introduced me to Kirk, and he and he had known Kirk back when he was an offensive line coach at Iowa years ago and said, so what's going on with your contract? And Kirk did this motion with two fists together, <laughs> and he said, it's right now, Bob, Bob won't budge. It's bone on bone is what he said. There's like no cartilage in the knee. We're at loggerheads is what Kirk said. <laughs> and I bring that up because I think that's a lot of what this year has been like for a lot of people, regardless of where you're at. Uh, on the issues that face us on a, you know, in a broader setting culturally. I think a lot of people feel that without um, movies to go to, um, amusement parks to visit, uh, sport, sporting events to watch, that it's really just been us left to the things that divide us rather than the things that unite us and make it, make, uh, um, make it worthwhile being a spoiled, rotten American. <laughs> And I think that's toned up the divisiveness all the more because the stuff that we like about living with each other and whether we agree or not has largely been taken away for a lot of Americans this year. That's absolutely and, and we've kind of just been left to the things that divide us to talk about the whole time. And I think that's made the atmosphere a lot more toxic. And I, that's one of the reasons why in my day job, um, and with the gig I have now running the Sports Illustrated site, Michigan site, I used every connection and everything I could think of to fight as hard as I could to help bring things like college football back because, um, you know, I work full time in politics, as a lot of your listeners are going to know. Yeah. And I know a lot of the people that you guys kvetch about. And trust me, I, I've met very few of them on either side that are worth destroying each other over that are worth making it just so we don't even want to go to our a kids sporting events with each other anymore. There most of these people that we're killing each other for are not worth it. Um, and so I'd like to, I know it sounds weird for somebody who works full time in politics, but frankly, I'd like to take a little bit less of a focus off of it and put it on a, a few more trivial pursuits. these well, days. Absolutely. I mean, be able to, you know, get out of your own, uh, your own zone. And- yeah for your day job and be able to enjoy sports where we all can come together. Um, it seems like there's nothing in life right now that we can agree on. It used to be sports. You know, we would all come together for our sports team. Mm-hmm. And the only uh, divisiveness, at least in Iowa, was the Iowa-Iowa State game, which mm-hmm. is where I would prefer it be. Uh, when yeah, that, would- that, that game made my career. <laughs> I'm where I'm at today because I found a way – when I moved here and got the job at the jock, I, I grew up in Michigan. I was born here, but I spent, you know, my sports formative years up there. And I didn't know anything about Iowa State. I couldn't stand Iowa. <laughs> I mean, we when I was growing up, we we owned Ohio State. I mean, I, I, I heard stories about Bo versus Woody and the great rivalry, but I'm like, that's just the game at the end of the year that we almost always win. I mean, I knew it was a big deal historically, but, yep. you know, um, we always beat Earl Bruce and John Cooper. It wasn't a big issue for me. The Iowa game was the issue. 
I mean, I, one of the formative games of my childhood was number one versus number two, October 19th, 1985. The kick. Yeah. And um, of course, all my family's back here. They're all big, rave, you know, rabbit Hawkeye fans. It's would come <laughs> home for Christmas and I'd never hear the end of it. And Hayden Fry and his exotics and all that stuff. So, I mean, Iowa, for me, as a child of the 80s, as a Michigan fan, yep. Iowa was the big rival, not Ohio State. Well, now all of a sudden, J. Michael McCoy hands me this show every day in Des Moines Sports Talk Radio. I don't know anything about Iowa State. (laughs) And let's face it, before Dan McCartney, unless it was basketball, nobody else did. And where did Dan McCartney come from? Iowa. Yeah. Um, And so I didn't know anything about Iowa State. And I couldn't stand Iowa. That's a problem. (laughs) They're the only two things my audience wants me to talk about. And so I had to figure out a way to get invested. And... The, I figured two ways to do it was to get to know the people at both schools. And so um, I took my show on the road to media days. I remember the first time I called Tom Crochelle at Iowa State, who was the SID back then. And I said, hey, I want to bring my show up there for football media day. And he was like, really? <laughs> so he's going to come up here, you know? Um, and and the other was stoking the rivalry because I do like to instigate things. Yeah. And and so, I mean, I, I did a show year round on that Iowa-Iowa State rivalry and um, and the audience loved it. It made our made our show grow more than anything else. And so, without the Cyhawk rivalry, I mean, there's no way I, I build enough of a following to get moved to WHO, and yeah. then all the things that have eventually transpired for me the last few years. Well, I, I remember you know you're talking about that rivalry and stoking the fire. I remember you on the MediaCom Connections uh, gig that you mm-hmm. had with John Miller, yeah. and that's where I first saw you. So before I even knew you, had, had ever met you. Um, I saw you on MediaCon Connections with John and you would just lay into John and then John would, you know, kind of take that irreverent approach and just be kind of, you know, very knowledgeable, but uh, kind of let you have your say. And I was always like, get him, John, get Steve, get him. And it was always like that for (laughs) me, but that, that's, that was my introduction to you. And, you know, I agree the stoking that, that fire and that, that, that passion um, in, in sports is a healthy thing for, you know, the country. That's what we, we love yeah. to do. It, it, it's an outlet. You, you That's to- the key word, brother, is outlet. If we don't channel all that angst and negative energy, listen, would I, would I rather go to war with my neighbor over a football game that I'm going to be really pissed when it's over, but then when it's <laughs> over, it's over. Yep. And, and yeah, I know a, a few times over the next 365 days, he's going to bring it up. Okay. Yep. But, you know, maybe next time my team wins. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Would I rather do it over that or some of, now some of the conflicts that we're having today as a culture, we have to have. Yeah. All right. That's, you know, we, we can't be children. We have to be adults. Yep. But I, but a lot of the stuff that we are killing each other over is, is frankly stuff that in the end won't, it won't make that much of a difference, but, but has a huge cost. Uh, from a collateral damage standpoint, a lot of it isn't about issues. It's about personalities and tribalisms and, and things of that nature. And I'll, I'll tell you, in, in my career over the years, I've gotten to do some really cool things. Yep. Um, but still, one of the most fun moments I've ever had was when, and nerve wracking because my stomach went nuts that day and it was a hundred degrees outside. But when John and I hosted the, uh, the Mediacom version of game day out in front of Jack Trice before the 05 Iowa, Iowa state game on site, live on set, massive crowd around us that whole day, like a college game day setting. 
And Iowa came in number eight. It was like the first time since Titanic sunk, I think, that <laughs> Iowa State beat a top 10 team. Um, and uh, I mean, that's, I still have the DVD of that episode. That's that's still an all-time favorite moment for me in my career was hosting that event. That that, was really cool. That's awesome. I, I do remember that. And uh, yeah, the crowd was large. We, they should definitely do that again someday. That, that would be a, yeah, a fun, a fun event and uh, really gets people pumped up. Um, to go to a little bit more of kind of the unfolding story of kind of where this year has gone with Iowa, um, I suppose we have to talk about it. Um, we had some... Uh, uh, allegations of mistreatment of players and whatnot. Um, certainly that was a, a concern, but um, what were your, just your broad feelings on kind of the transpiring of that and, you know, how you feel about the program then when it came out and now uh, that it's kind of getting in towards a, a Big Ten season? A lot about that story, Joe, uh, dismayed and disappointed me uh, and confused me. And, you know, I in the arena I work in full-time, I, I mean, racial politics, racial division, uh, things that create racial hostility are unavoidable. Okay. And the reality is that if you on, on multiple occasions cross a certain line in this arena, uh, particularly from the right where I'm coming from, you're gone and never return. And so I've survived pretty long in this business which means I know what those lines are. I wouldn't think of crossing them. And and I'm pretty well versed in debating these kinds of issues. When I first started on WHO, um, God rest his soul, Jonathan Narciss, one of my all-time best friends. Um, I mean, him and I, my, the first campaign that I ever took on to try to use my show to impact the outcome of an election was putting him on the school board. I believe to this day, he's the first black school board member that Des Moines has ever had on the school board. I spent a lot of time in black churches helping to organize those events. Um, some of the relationships that Jonathan and I forged getting uh, racial unity in the church are still exist to this day. Joshua Christian Academy in downtown Des Moines. Absolutely. That that was founded because Jonathan and I put the two people in each of our camps together who could make that happen. Okay. That. Um, so I, I, I understand that. There's a certain stereotype about quote unquote conservative media. I have worked there for a long time. There are quite a few, uh, and this is true in America, period. I mean, I would imagine, you know, a few Iowa State fans, but probably most of your friends and family are Hawkeye fans. Yep. Most of them look like you or think somewhat similar to you. Yep. Birds of a feather flock together, right? Okay. So it is true that in conservative media, because that does tend to be an area where um, uh, there's less racial um, diversity amongst the customers or the readers or the viewers that maybe we can be a little bit more insulated on some of these issues. So I've over the years tried to be compensate for that by, you know, getting to know black ministers here in town and things of that nature. Okay. And so I bring, a, I actually bring a lot of experience to the table in analyzing these kinds of issues, or at least more than the average quote unquote right wing radio talk show has. So uh, host has. Yep. And what bothered me about it is it seemed as if the truth of what happened here wasn't really on anybody's agenda. And I, I go to the piece to make, to kind of make my point. Adam Rittenberg's a great college football reporter for ESPN. And he, he wrote like the big expose on your program and what was going on there with racial, uh, disunity and things of that nature. And I want to say it's like the 21st or 19th paragraph. I mean, like way, way down into his expose. 
He mentions that Iowa has the worst graduation rate in the Big Ten for black student athletes. To me, that is your lead. Meaning that if the agenda here is ultimately to do something about racial disparity within the University of Iowa football program, that's where that's the starting point, right? I mean, how many of those guys are going to go on to play in the NFL? Not many. Not many. All right? So there's a lot more of them that need a degree from one of the top 75 public universities in America to that and that will help them change the trajectory of their not just their life, but the the wives they will later marry, the children they'll, they'll, they'll later have. Generations will change because they got that piece of paper at the end in Iowa City, right? Yep. So I would start there. That Next to getting drafted in the NFL, that's the ultimate goal is getting that piece of paper that changes my life. And the fact that that was so far down Adam's article. When I read the University of Iowa's report that they released to the public, and I read every word of it, when I read that report, it wasn't mentioned until, again, like 20 pages or something into the report or whatever it was. And I'm thinking to myself as I read through this, that, that's, the, that's, that's what this entire thing ought to be about. Instead, it was about how many Powerades somebody was told to drink and, 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 and some just ridiculous stuff that I can tell you in another, you know, although he was a punter. One of my first best friends in, uh, that was an Iowa Hawkeye was Reggie Roby. I knew Reggie the late Roby, Reggie yeah. Roby very, very well and uh, spent a lot of time with him. On the, on the ballot for the uh, Hall, Hall of Fame. Fame. Yes, maybe the great, I mean, Thunderfoot, if I remember right, right? Absolutely. I'm going to tell you right now, if he were here today and had read that report and said, listen, y'all may have some racial problems at the University of Iowa, but we're really writing a damn report because the guy was told to drink too many Powerades. Get the bleep out of here with that bleep. <laughs> That's what he would, and that's what every player, white or black, in, an, in every other generation would have said about several of the things that were mentioned in that report, which is, you guys, frankly, are coming across as kind of soft here. That doesn't mean there aren't issues. But to me, the main issue was, how does a school, um, let's face it, you're not, you're, Chicago's not right down the road. Detroit's not right down the road. The Mall of America is not right down the road. I mean, the reason why you had so many you have so many Paula issues at the University of Iowa every year is because the only damn thing there is to do over there in the three one nine area goes drink when you're not <laughs> at school, right? Yep. yep. I mean, how can a school in a kind of a remote outpost of Iowa, okay, how with, with that's as academically respected as the University of Iowa is, how can it have such a low graduation rate with its black student athletes? That should have been the issue. And everything, in my view, should have started from, let's get the answer to that question and move down from there. Instead, it seemed like we, hey, you pile your grievance on. Add your grievance. Yeah, we, you know what? You, you, yeah. Somebody made you sad once. Throw that in. And I, I read a lot of things. That, and when I finished that report, I thought, all of this was for this? I mean, Iowa dragged its program and its own some of its own players. Too many members of its own media. And I want to talk about that in a moment. Okay. Uh, dragged the, their own program through the mud and, and piled dirt on it for that report. There's got to be more than this. Okay. And if there's not that, and see, that's where there's a lack of clarity to me. Yeah. Okay. Now I also recognize that there were several players who have, have earned respect of Hawkeye Nation that have spoken up and, and issued concerns. 
I would not presume as a 47 year old man who wears a an XXL shirt and a size 36 jean uh, to, to tell that guy he doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. I, I will. Def- I agree. I sh- we should listen to those folks. But, you know, it's funny. Listening seems to go one way. Happens a lot. Yeah. You listen to me while I air my grievance. And then I, if, if, if I, you know, while I kneel for the anthem, I don't have a problem if you want to kneel for the anthem. Yeah. It's a free country. But the idea that then you get to do it, but then I can't be critical of you doing it. That's not the, no, 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 no. That's not how this works. And the idea that there's only one side of these arguments. Um, you know, the book of Proverbs says one man's story seems true until you hear the other side or the first man's story seems true. And what, what really disappointed me is wasn't a lot of interest in a real back and forth, give and take. What's the real truth here? Um, I didn't really know Chris Doyle that well. You know, I spent a lot of time around the Iowa program in my radio career, but I met him like in passing once. I did know Kirk very well. Um, But I have, first of all, the idea that, you know, Kirk's chief lieutenant, Chris Doyle, and if you know anything about how a college football program runs, next to the head coach, the strength and conditioning coach, the most important person in the program. He spends more time with the players than anybody else does. So the idea that all these things went on for 20 years and Kirk had no idea, it's just beyond ridiculous, okay? But let me tell you what also is beyond ridiculous. What really, really bothered me, and it reminded me of what happened with Dolph, with Gary Dolphin last year, okay? Whatever context you think Gary Dolphin was addressing and should he have used those terms and should he have stopped himself and known better, fine. Okay, We can all have a different conversation about that. For 20 years, this guy was the voice of the Hawkeyes, easily accessible. How many Hawkeye fans have golfed with him? How many have met him at a Carlos O'Kelly's when that, when those restaurants were still around or at an iClub event? All right. How many times you heard him on a radio show? It's not like Gary Dolphin's not available to people. Yeah. Okay. And because of one foot and mouth or dumb reference or stupid, or maybe even think it's offensive. Fine. We're now suddenly going to scarlet letter him as a racist. So you didn't know, you didn't know Gary Dolphin for 20 years. So for 20 damn years, you didn't know who he was. All those years, you, sh- you, you broke bread with him. You shook your hands with him. You shook hands with him. You had your kids take a picture in Hawkeye gear with the voice of the Hawkeyes. All those years, right? All those years you knew him and you tuned in. One time he does one dumbass slip of the tongue or even offensive reference. And now suddenly he's a racist. So, like, all the 20 years of Gary Dolphin backdrop that you had before suddenly is just erased for one moment. That's, that's, there's, we can't hold ourselves together as a community if we do that to each other. And that's what I saw several people in Hawkeye Media, some of them I like, some of them I worked with when I covered the team. I, and I was just really disgusted to see them do that to the Kirk Ferentz. Well, the idea, first of all, Kirk Ferentz in any given recruiting class, Joe. He spends more time in the homes of black America than any of these white members of the Iowa football media will spend in their freaking lifetimes. Combined times a hundred, number one. Chris Doyle has done more to take young men, including young black men, and, and turn them into men that became college graduates, multimillionaires, 
successful fathers and husbands than any of these, let me get my social justice warrior cheap ratio points so I can get jerked off on Twitter by people I'll never meet and tell me how virtuous and nice and kind and racially tolerant and enlightened I am. And just to sit there and drag your own team and your own program through the mud, I'm not saying let's not get the truth. I'm not saying to cover it up. I'm not saying to assume, hey, there's no way this could happen. I've known Kirk for 20 years and I just don't, I'm not, dude, I'm not saying to do that either. But how about we actually go through the process of listening to people? How about giving at least the benefit of the doubt to people you've known and have worked here and represented your program in this state honorably, as far as we know, for 20 years? Hey, there's been televangelists we thought were great guys. Right. And then we found out they're doing hooker. You know, what was the guy that did that was got caught doing cocaine off a gay hooker's ass? Literally. Okay. There's dude, everybody at Enron thought they were working for a great company, too, until they found out the truth. So these things do happen. And the University of Iowa is not immune to this kind of a scandal. But maybe we should find out if it happened before we all jump on social media, grab a shovel, and just start impaling people with it and then piling the dirt on top of them like we never knew. It's Kirk. This isn't Kirk's first year at this job. He's been here for 20 years. It wasn't Chris Doyle's first day on the job. He'd been here for 20 years. It wasn't Gary Dolphin's first day on the job. He's been here for 20 years. Do you think maybe you might want to find out with the people that all those years you had your kids' pictures taken with them, all those years you were proud to have them wearing your Tiger Hawk and your logo and representing you, maybe, just maybe, we might want to find out what the other side of the story is before we participate in a freaking Twitter jihad, which is what happened here. And here's why it makes me mad. Because if we're going to do this within a fan base as tight and knit and loyal as the bumblebees at the University of Iowa are. If you're going to turn on a coach like Kirk, if, if Kirk Ferentz can't get the benefit of the doubt from the media and the fans at a place like Iowa, then with everything he's done and everything he's been a part of with this program all these years, he built that renovated football stadium. His success is how Bob Bowlesby raised that money. He made that happen. If Kirk doesn't get the benefit of the doubt with all those years of contributions, what does that mean for people like us? If we do something dumb or we get accused of something that maybe we did do or didn't do or maybe we didn't, but it, but it wasn't as bad as it's being portrayed. If, 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 if Kirk Ferentz doesn't earn the benefit of the doubt from the Hawkeye writer that he's made sure he's had all the recruiting information for all these years and he knew who the team was recruiting and who to call, right? That guy, because yeah. that's how it works. Let's not lie to each other. That's how it works. I know I was that guy for Iowa State. <laughs> okay. If, 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 that, if Kirk Ferentz can't get the benefit of the doubt from that guy, then what hope does most of us have to get the benefit of the doubt then? I guess then that's just the minute we're accused of anything, then we're just automatically guilty. Well, and that's a scary place to live as a country. Well, it's terrifying. And I think one of the big telling things, too, is, is not only this rush to condemn, you know, the, the before we get any of the facts. And I think that's a lot of what the media does these days. They want to be the first one to report something, to get something out there, regardless of whatever the the truth is, whatever that might be. It's a narrative, you know, so they go with it. But to me, what was big as well with not only the Gary Dolphin, but um, – the issue with uh, Kirk Ferentz's program was the people who were silent as well. It wasn't just the people who who were being um, you know 
Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. they're, won't well, name names, but I mean, Gary Dolphin had a lot of colleagues that he worked with on and off the radio who didn't say anything. No, I haven't talked to Gary in 10 years, probably. The minute yeah. I saw, I didn't, but I didn't, I didn't have to not talk to him for 10 years because for 10 years I talked to him almost every week. Yep. Okay. I know the guy. I, I know what he's like. I've had private conversations with him. All right. I, it wasn't like he was making racial blast or anything like that. And I know that's not, Whatever he, whatever you think of the remark he made, his intent was not to take race relations back to George Wallace. Okay, so that's the other. That's why I, it, for me, it was an instinct to step in. Hey, I know this guy. I know that's not what he's about. I'm not going to sit here and just let you just be smirch. Just it was. I didn't even think about it. And Gary Dolphin maybe didn't want my help. Might have made it worse. I don't know. Okay. But it was just instinctive for me to say, dude, I'm calling BS on that. I mean, yeah. I, it's just not. Maybe, hey, you want to, you want to pen. I'm a broadcaster. I, I know I can say something d- dumb on social media or, or regular media and it could cost me a day of the job or maybe the gig. Fine. But you don't then label a guy like he's a friggin' racist and unhirable in the future and just taint him as a human being from this time forward. Okay. And, and, I thought that's what went on because it, 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 it's pretty obvious. No one learned any lessons about what happened with Gary Dolphin over there in the Iowa media or um, it, it, in, in the administration. And so it just seems like when this came up with the football program, they made all the same mistakes all over again, just on steroids. It, it really was, it, you know, for 20 years. And, and a lot of the stuff you said about the feelings, and that's what I did feel like, you know, some of them might've been, bordering that line and, and those should be addressed, but none of this stuff was addressed throughout the 20 years. And I guess that's what I kind of had a problem. The with. year before at the end of 2019, Chris Doyle says it right in the report was given an outstanding was, did not have like any complaints lobbied against him from whatsoever. Now you could argue, well, the players felt like uh, that maybe they had to be quiet for retribution. And I could certainly see that. Yeah. Okay. But, but you can't, and this is the other part about it that bothered me a little bit too, is that it seemed like there was a massive effort here to throw Chris Doyle under the bus. Like he was just running some kind of renegade outpost that nobody over in the football office knew what was going on. Yeah. And that's just, that's not how it works at a successful program. The head yeah. coach knows everything yeah. and him and his strength and conditioning coach are pretty much symbiotic in relationship yeah. because one is the extension of the other. Yeah. Okay. And, but, um, I just thought the way the whole thing was handled was shoddy. Um, I thought, and I thought they essentially paid Chris Doyle a million dollars to go away. And I don't think he was going to get that until he sent out the note. Uh, the, was it a release? I think it was a sent. release. He was advised not yeah, to, yeah. not to send, but yeah. I think that it, it and he, he, he said, should've. Hey man, he went all ice cube. I ain't the one. I ain't yeah. the one. I'm not going out like that. I'm not, I am not here to be your huckleberry here. I'm not, yep. I'm not going to be the one. I'm not going to build your, Chris Doyle has as much to do with the Iowa football success as Kirk Ferentz does, frankly. He does. And, 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 and Chris Doyle said, Hey, I'm, I helped build this. The idea that at the end of my career, I'm going out and getting labeled a racist and get nothing for it. No, you're going to pay me. And they paid him a million dollars to basically go away is my view and, and try to make this whole thing go away. And there's worse ways to handle it than that. But then to come out with the report that they did that just kind of opened it all right back up again, but then didn't answer anything for anybody and put a couple of things in there that were absolutely ridiculous. Um, I, I just thought the whole thing was terribly mismanaged. And just, you know, if there's any criticism that you're going to give Kirk Ferentz, and, you know, I've, I've enjoyed him. I've enjoyed him as our coach for several years. 
Um, he's done a lot of great things, not only for the community, but for the program in general. It's just his, his handling. And I don't, maybe for appearance wise, that's why, you know, maybe legal wise, he, he was uh, advised not to say anything about uh, uh, Chris Doyle, but certainly you would think that he was, had to be great friends and, and, and great uh, mm-hmm. work partners to allow him to go out that way. That was my only, I guess, bad taste in my mouth yeah. with how that was handled. I, I could see that. I could. And, you know, people will ask me, and I think it's a fair point to ask me, well, then how do you explain all these various complaints? I'm not, I'm not saying everybody here is innocent. I'm just saying maybe we shouldn't be in a rush to pronounce everybody guilty. Yeah. Those are two different things. And I also think we have to learn distinctions. You know, and I, I, when I was younger, I struggled drawing distinctions too. As I get older, it gets easier. Um, but I, you know, you and I are white guys. Okay. You're in your thirties now, right? Yep. I'm in my forties. Okay. So do we know a few, uh, <laughs> back in 2012, MSNBC, yeah, MSNBC <laughs> brought me out to 30 Rock to interview for Pat Buchanan's job. Okay, and they had just fired Pat Buchanan as their token conservative commentator. They had had me on the network numerous times and thought I was interesting. And they had a, a group of candidates they were looking at to kind of be the token conservative analyst. Is that like the that crossfire? Just like on their various shows yeah, okay. and stuff like yeah. that. Okay. Well, the reason they got rid of Pat Buchanan is because Buchanan wanted to continue to say terms like uh, really just ethnically slanderous terms like wetback on the air, okay? Which I guess maybe in 1969 or 78 or 84, nobody said anything about. But in 2012, you you can't go on the air, Pat, and say things like that, okay? And maybe shouldn't. Maybe you should not only say you can't, but that you should not, okay? Um, But I think, you know, uh, you're in your 30s, I'm in your 40s. Would you be shocked to learn that it's, it's, and your 80-year-old white guy like Pat Buchanan has just decided, I'm not changing. I don't give a crap. No. <laughs> no. We all know like a grandparent or, right. or, or older uncle or somebody like that that, is, that kind of reaches the age of Grand Torino. <laughs> Get off my lawn. That kind of thing. Okay. Do I think – see, I think that's more likely what occurred here. What, what occurred here is some old school in-your-face tactics that in 1999 or even 2009 – um, you know, I was listening to a podcast from the University of Michigan this morning, and they were reminiscing about Bo Schembechler, yep. and they were talking about, could you imagine how social media react? <laughs> Bo throwing his headset, grabbing a guy by the oh, face mask and yelling at him on the sidelines. I mean, Bo is considered a saint and a grandfather, you know, but if he pulled those, remember when Tom Izzo did that to one of the Michigan state players oh, at the yeah. NCAA tournament yep. and social media lost its damn mind. Okay. Back in the day, man, and that was the era that guys like Kirk Ferentz and Chris Doyle, they were, you know, you got to remember, Kirk's from Michigan. His daughter went to the University of Michigan. Um, You know, Chris and Kirk come from an era where Woody and Bo and Hayden, those were their mentors. And some of the stuff they said and did in their antics today, social media would just say, that guy's got to be canceled for that. So do I do I think that, would it be a shock to learn that an old white guy now, which is what Chris and Kirk are, but particularly Chris, he's the, you know, Chris is the bad cop and Kirk's the good cop, right? Would it be shocking to learn that he reached an age where he said, F this man, I'm not changing for these, for these wimps, these pussies and all that other stuff and screw that and I'm not doing that and I'm, you know, I'm keeping it old school, look at everything I've done, F all you guys. Yep. 
would you be shocked to learn an, no. an old white guy said things and acted like that? No, no. that's that, that's probably. I don't think we. I don't think it's KKK. I think it's Grand Torino. I, I just think an old white guy just decided I've done. I don't have to change. I don't have to evolve. And you kind of do. You, you do. do. So that doesn't mean you abandon your principles. No. No. But but you do have to understand that some ways of communicating um, in 2020. To, to the generation now, you're not talking to the generation of 1998. You know, in 1998, we laughed at the idea that people would get a participation trophy. It's standard operating procedure for a lot of these kids yeah. in 2020. So maybe if, even if you don't want to evolve, have a little self-awareness. Yeah. See, I don't think Chris Doyle and Kirk Ferentz are absent of criticism either. Yeah. Have, some, have some self-awareness and realize... You know, that kid grew up in a home, maybe didn't have a dad, so he didn't have anybody on his ass all the time pushing him. Yep. You're the f- and he was the star player at his high school, and they did everything for him. Didn't have to work. He, yeah, he comes here, and all of a sudden, man, the day one, you're on him like a fly on stink and busting his balls. They want you to be better. Yeah, but he doesn't know that because yep. no male figure's ever done that to him before. Okay? And, and so I, I think that maybe a lack of self-awareness, which happens when you reach the Grand Torino stage of being an old white guy, at times, I think that's probably the culprit here more than anything else. It felt like they run like a military style program. I, I, other people have said as well. Um, I think it was. It was like you know, like platoon. Okay, mm-hmm. I mean, you look at Arlie Ermy. All right, his sure. style. His style of yeah. uh, uh, you are the most yeah. of life honor. <laughs> yeah. His yeah. style of, of drill sergeant. I interviewed that guy once, by the way. He's just a sweet. He was a sweetheart. He's passed away now. I've heard. Yeah. I've heard that. But yeah, his style of of being a, a drill sergeant doesn't happen today. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's kind of what happened with, with their program. I mean, they, they ran from all, all I can see a, a military style kind of program. You know, you stayed within the line, your uniform, you, you know, the swarm, everything to me, and I, probably from Hayden's, Hayden's generation, mm-hmm. you know, propelled this into today's standards. And that's why, you know, Kurt wanting to protect the players, not allowing the social media, not making, making sure that you're not going to make a fool of yourself and or the university. And I, I think that was his primary concern. Now he's kind of let go of that, and we'll see how it goes. Hopefully, they're you know mature enough to to make those decisions. But with let me give you just one example of what you're talking about. Okay, I won't tell you which former Iowa player told me this. It wasn't Reggie Roby, since I mentioned his name earlier. It wasn't him. It was another one, and it would be a name people would know. Okay, and I've told you this story before at Poker Night, so I'll share this here on the podcast. (laughs) Right. So this was heading into the 1985 season spring practice, and. Uh, Hayden has a bunch of Iowa high school kids that they're looking at uh, recruiting for the, ne- for the next year's class. So they had just had February signing day a month ago. They're into spring ball for the 1985 season. And so, I mean, that's a star-studded team, obviously, right? And so all these high school kids that are going to be class of 85, going to graduate, or class of 86, they're going to graduate the next year. Okay, so they're at the, at the end of their junior seasons, going into their senior years. And he's got them. He's getting them up on campus early, recruiting them on a uh, an official visit junior weekend. And it's after a spring practice. And, you know, um, we didn't have protein supplements in the 80s and 90s. I remember when creatine showed up, people <laughs> thought it was like from Mars. Okay. So I mean, these kids are a lot of them, even though I know, angular, skinny kids, they're not ready to play college football. No. They don't look like the kids often do today. Yeah. Right. Okay. So these kids walk in, bunch of Iowa, you know, kids and, you know, uh, rural, largely white from another, you know, universe in Iowa football. And they walk in and the team is done practicing and they're showering up. And Ronnie Harmon walks out of the shower. Okay. And he just looks like a freaking 
cover picture of Men's Health magazine brought to life. Okay, I mean, he's just chiseled. I mean, there's just there's just like, uh, you know, I'm, I didn't come off the same assembly line Ronnie Harmon did, right? <laughs> yep. And these players and Hayden can see that these young Iowa high school kids, their jaws are like dropped. Okay, at just how how uh, put together this guy is walking naked out of the shower. And without skipping a beat, Hayden looks at him and says, and men, you come to Iowa. In a few years, you're going to look like that too. Okay? Now, we laugh and that's kind of funny and everything else. If that got tweeted out today from about a modern coach, well, was he making a racist statement that that, uh, black men, uh, racial stereotype, black men are better uh, uh, endowed than white men. You see what I'm saying? The whole thing would get, and then then once someone makes a racial allegation, then a bunch of people who need you to know I'm not racist would then jump on to say, yeah, that's terrible, shouldn't do that. And then they, then the feedback loop of social media yep. begins, right? Before you know it, it's on Sports Center tonight, or it starts off on the lower third on Sports Center. Yep. Racially incentive remark by, uh, or incendiary or insensitive remark, University of Iowa football coach. Then it gets blown up here, and we're off. Yep. Fire up the 1812 overture, and you can't stop it once it's left. That's the world in which we live today. And that is very unfortunate. It is. It is. Well, moving from from that, um, kind of get into some more of the, the better topics uh, of Iowa football. Um, what do you think about? Uh, huh, maybe this isn't so much better. The direction that uh, the Big Ten initially took on August eleventh to where we just recently got uh, what, last Wednesday. Yeah. Um, you know, now that we have a season, something to uh, actually be happy about and to. Uh, uh, have these podcasts. What, what's your kind of mindset on, on how they handle that? Um, I know the initial handling to me was, was just a nightmare, but to me, it almost seemed like that PR shift that was a nightmare turned into something of a benefit towards you mm-hmm. know, to them just because nobody else was talking about Big Ten football mm-hmm. more than last week. I mean, last week it blew up, and we're still talking about it as being one of the leading uh, conferences uh, to do that. But what are some of your thoughts on that? I thought as bad as what went down in August was, was as slick, um, professional, and kick-ass as what went down last week was, which which shows you how much BS was in the August cancel announcement. Because now you know. In, in August, you know, it's a new commissioner, Right. You don't know who a lot of these presidents are. And you're thinking maybe they're just not familiar with football or how things work. Maybe they got blindsided. You know, maybe they just aren't that good at this. And then when you see the level of of professionalism and cordiality and swag that they put together for the bring back press conference. Well, now, you know, no, these are impressive individuals. They're not dumb. They know their stuff. They just were full of feces back in early August when they did this. Okay. And I think what happened in early August, and I don't believe, you know, there's a lot of our followers on our Bigger Ten account who believe the election and, and Trump is why they wanted to cancel the season. I really don't believe that. Now, that doesn't mean there, there wasn't a role for the election in the process, but I'll get to that in a second. I, I think really what happened here, and I've, I've, I've done a couple of radio shows around the country on this issue, and this is what I've told them. I, when when I, in, I was at uh, Jerry DiNardo's very first Big Ten media day when he first got the job in Indiana, in Chicago, 
And he had, he had just come from the SEC. He had coached at LSU and, pardon me, Vanderbilt down there. And the first question Jerry got was, hey, what's the difference between the Big Ten and the coach and the Big Ten and the SEC? And Jerry DiNardo, now at the Big Ten Network, he laughed and said, well, we don't have any faculty reps in the SEC. Meaning, nobody from the, from the academic side is hovering around the program, making sure we're obeying the 20-hour rule, kids are at study table, doing their own work. Not, hey... We're, we, we're the football department of the university and the SEC. <laughs> the idea that there's an overseer from, 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 from the Hill, okay, where the administration is at, they don't do that. In the SEC, you better come down here with, you know, loaded for your, if they send, dude, if they try to faculty rep in the SEC, that guy's getting tarred and feathered and sent back up the Hill. What do you mean? This is the football department. Steve, keep the hell out. Stay in your lane. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But in the end, in the Big Ten, it is, the, it's, it's the expectation. Okay. And I think that's a lot of what happened here. If you go back to a lot of our universities, you know, our region of the country, you know, comes out of the Northwest Ordinance right after the Revolutionary War. If you look at a lot of the dates when our university, our land grant schools were certified, like at Michigan, I think it's like 1827. So, I mean, these are some of the oldest public universities outside of the Ivy League in the country. I think you see a lot of cross pollination between Big Ten administrations and Ivy Leagues. People leave the Ivy League and then come to the Big Ten and then go back. And, and, you know, you're too young to remember a guy named Hunter Rawlings. But when your football program was one of the best in the country, he like wanted to get rid of like freshman eligibility and take this thing back to like, you know, the twenties. Okay. And I think what happened is these presidents were very uncomfortable with, with the enterprise, the, the, the monstrosity printing machine, the printing press uh, that Jim Delaney built of Big Ten athletics, particularly with the Big Ten network. And with him now out of the way, you have a rookie commissioner in Kevin Warren who comes from the NFL. And in the NFL, the commissioner serves at the behest of the owners. He does their bidding. Yep. All right. His job is to be their deflector shield so that they don't take heat and they pay him handsomely for him to take it. And he comes from that world. And I think he saw himself not as a servant of the athletics and the ADs, but of the university presidents. Okay. Yep. And I think what happened is these the politics were, I think a lot of these university presidents thought this is our chance now to rein Big Ten athletics back into a place we're more comfortable with yep. and get back, kind of get our hands or our arms around this a little bit more because Delaney's taking this a little too close to what's going on with those rednecks down south we're not comfortable with. Let's kind of bring this back here to more of our, harm, our of our high-minded ideals. I think so that's why they did what they did and they thought that the virus was the perfect situation for it because there are a lot of uncertainties that we don't know about. The problem is it's going to take 10, 20, 30 years to know those things. Yep. So. Because that's how long we have to observe this in real time, right? So does does that mean that we just don't play football for the next 10 or 20, 30 years? <laughs> that's ridiculous, right? Yep. Yep. And then I think what they thought was when they canceled, that it, that they, I think they thought everybody else would cancel. Or at the very least, what would happen is the ACC, where you have, uh, like the Big Ten, some of the top yep. public universities and medical schools. North Carolina is like number one in the country right now. Duke and Pittsburgh are top 15 medical schools in the country. I think that that if they couldn't get the rest of the conferences to fold with them, that they thought they'd get the ACC to fold. And if the ACC folded, that would leave the SEC kind of out there on its own as the renegade outfit. And then ultimately criticism that they would actually end up canceling as well. I think. And then when that did not happen, instead, the ACC was like handed together. Yeah. ACC. Wait a minute. Notre Dame's now calling us and saying, can we be in your league full time? 
Listen, man, that COVID thing sounds really dangerous, but I promise you, we got our best doctors on it. Go Irish. Okay. You mean the number one television property in our sport is going to be on? And we're trying to start a new ACC network. It's a fledgling network. So let me get this straight. The Big Ten network's going to go dark. We stay on the air in the ACC network and we get Notre Dame every night. Yes, I'll be up for that. Yep. We got our best physicians on it. We're going to figure this COVID thing out, by yes. golly, in real time, even. We're going to figure it out. And we're going to take this guy from Duke and put him on Sports Center. They did all of that, yep. right? Turn him into like their little Fauci, except one that actually knows what the hell he's talking about. And that, I think, blew the Big Ten away. That they're like, oh, maybe we're not the, the, the trendsetter alpha here that we thought. And then the revolt of the other programs and the coaches, primarily Nebraska and Ohio State. Um, and then I think the final straw was the lawsuit in Nebraska and the discovery process there. But then you had the attorney generals of Nebraska and Ohio. Listen, you can think, hey, some Nebraska alum judge in Lancaster yeah. County isn't, is podunk nothing. She's just catering, pandering to the locals. Well, now, though, when you have two state attorney generals coming at you and saying, we'll, we'll take your ass maybe right into federal court then. Yeah. Now that's a little bit different. <laughs> Yeah. And I think I think they were I think they were maybe a little afraid of liability from the virus. And then I think they were very afraid of liability from facing state attorney generals and US district courts with their subpoena power and their their discovery process. And then the testing improved, although that had been improving since shortly Police. after the Big yeah. Ten announced yeah. they were gonna shut down. But that gave them the excuse to save face and come back. That's fine. <laughs> and I'm totally yeah, fine yeah, with it. Yeah. yeah. You use that as an excuse. I mean, you know, really, they could thank Nebraska too, as long you know, with uh, Ohio State as well, but Nebraska for bringing the suit because it gave them the, it gave them the opportunity to pivot on that, that situation mm-hmm. and completely make it right. I think they still took a little too long to make that deliberation. But with kind of what you said, that press conference was better than anything I've ever seen the Big Ten produce. Yep. Uh, ever. So why did they do it in August? Because they didn't have a good case to make. Yeah. Because they, they, the data didn't support the decision they made, and they didn't make the decision for data. They made the decision because they were trying to reassert their control of Big Ten athletics. Now, I do think Trump played a role, and the election played a role in when to come back. Yeah. Um, I think unquestionably Trump helped us, whether you like him or not. Um, if for no other reason than giving the spotlight of the White House on the Big Ten put a huge more amount of heat on them to, to get with it. Yeah. Um, but I also think it may have delayed when we, when we came back, meaning, you know, I don't think this is breaking news to a lot of people that people that work in academia tend to not be Republicans, right? Yeah. Particularly people that work high up in academia. And so I, I, I do think that as much as he helped us by, by helping put the spotlight on them with pressure, there was a there was some collateral damage there where I think you saw this with the Rutgers president, maybe a couple of other ones yeah. privately, but the Rutgers president was public about it. Yeah. Basically doubling down on the butthurt saying, Screw you, we're not doing this. We don't want to make it look like Trump pressure. Yeah, that, yeah. Which kinda I, and so I think if you want to know why you're not starting October seventeenth, I which was what the date we were all told, I think that that's probably yeah. why. Yeah. Okay. I, I think we had another week to navigate everybody's butthurt and not not wanting to make it look like Trump did something. That, you know, they didn't want to give him credit for. I think that had something to do with it, too. Well, if they hadn't have made the right decision to to play, I mean, the implications of that, just, just lawsuits in general, I think, would have been filed across the board, every think, single program. I, I agree, but I think, it, you know, we're in a position right now where programs 
and I, I feel awkward saying this as a Michigan fan because you guys have been kicking our ass a lot the last <laughs> decade or so. But from a brand standpoint, it's not probably a new slash to most people that Michigan, from a branding standpoint, even if success-wise, Iowa's probably been the better program in the last decade. But from a brand standpoint, Michigan is an, is an elite class from oh, yeah. a branding standpoint. If, if the Big Ten had play, not played and all these other leagues did, Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State would have bounced back from that. Their, their fan bases are too big. Their alumni bases are too big. Their resources, their recruiting reach. Who that would have crushed is right now we've got programs at places like Iowa and Purdue and uh, Minnesota and Wisconsin that are recruiting as well as they have in many, many, many years. Those are the programs that would have been crushed by this because um, it's, difficult, it's, it's harder at those schools when you have the momentum rolling downhill yep. and then it stops to get it back going in that direction all over well, again. Recruiting would have been a nightmare. I mean, just, you know, you have kids that are going to be seeing the SEC, the ACC, right. playing football, you know, competing for a, a college football playoff mm-hmm. championship without a Big Ten. That was just unfathomable. Mm-hmm. Um, now you reversed course and, you know, that's on the table again. But, man, you know, with, with all the delays, uh, you know, kind of this too – it really makes it difficult now for a lot of these programs in the Big Ten, in a little bit less, obviously, in the uh, SEC and ACC because they decided uh, on, on a course of action earlier, getting prepared for this season. I mean, uh, Kirk, he had let the kids go home early, which, you know, it's not his fault. He didn't think there was going to be a season. There's, there's no reason to, to, uh, to keep them. Uh, kind of puts you behind the eight ball, which I don't know. Like, every school having that, uh, that disadvantage might be an advantage. Um, just purely from a, you don't know what's going to happen this season. You know, you know where the talent is, and some of the individuals coming back. There's a lot of a lot of the uh, uh, college players that had opted out have been granted uh, the ability to opt back in. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if all of them have, but no, Michael Parsons has not. Rondale Moore has not. Ambry Thomas and Nico Collins at Michigan will not. Uh, Jalen Mayfield did. I'm trying to think of who else in our league is. Uh, Rashad Bateman is opting back in. The Ohio State guys are opting back in. Um, so that's the last uh, that I've heard of on, on those. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. I mean, a, a lot of these teams are trying to recondition right now. Iowa's behind, you know, fair and so they, yep. they were kind of behind just from a conditioning standpoint because they had that uh, interruption. Um, but but I, I think you're making an excellent point. I mean, I know a lot of Michigan fans were upset when they saw that we opened at Minnesota to start the schedule. I'm like, I actually love, we, we were going to have to play them this year. Yeah. They were always on the schedule. I'd rather play them first. <laughs> yeah. Why? Because they shut their program down. Yep. Ours has been going the whole time. We're one of the handful of schools in this in this league. We have been practicing like every day this entire time. Yep. Okay. And so we never sent the kids home. We never shut down. We've been going the whole time. Uh, and I, they shut their program down for a while. Yep. And they're one of the ones that has to get, they have to start completely back up from scratch with conditioning and everything. Like on September 30th, when we can open camp, our school, we can go pads, everything, day one, we can go. Okay. A lot of these other programs like Minnesota that shut down and everything for a while, they're going to have to ramp up for a week or two to get there. Well, then what happens if they have a handful of positive tests and have to shut down for a week? We should probably talk about some of the testing things. I I think this year, when you're looking at handicapping races, in in a... If it weren't for the racial thing at Iowa, I would say that this is actually a perfect season for a program like yours. That's what I was saying. Or a program like Wisconsin's. Or Ohio State's, and I hate saying this, okay? But 
gosh, it would be so much easier if they just kicked our ass because they have all those NFL guys all the time. We have all these NFL guys too. What, what Urban Meyer really did though, and Jim Tressel really started it too, is they built the right culture there. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Like John Cooper had tremendous talent too, but it really didn't feel like an Ohio State culture. Yeah. And now they have an Ohio State culture there. So if you're now going to have the culture with the talent they have, that's a tough team to beat, right? Um, and so those programs that have that longevity in their coaching staffs and excellent med schools, okay? Yeah, yeah. Iowa has an excellent med school. Michigan has one of the best university med schools in the country. Ohio State's med school has dramatically improved its academic ranking. So you have that internal mechanisms within your program and longevity and infrastructure where your, your identity is already established. We know who we are, right? Yep. We know what the process is, okay? That this would be the perfect year for your Kirk Ferentz season where – Y'all seem to always do really well with the first-year starting quarterback. No one knows. Yep. Okay. And then, like, his senior year when he was supposed to be really good is when y'all disappoint everybody typically. Okay. Yep. But this would be the – if it weren't for and, – and it may be that the racial stuff is just totally uh, – the kids were moved out. We, I don't think we're going to know until we see them play. Yeah. Okay. But if it weren't for that, then I would be all over Iowa as a team. This is – this is a culture year this year. Yeah. Can I get guys to go to practice and then just go home and not go out and to stick with the program and to mind their P's and Q's and stay away and only be with each other and build a de facto bubble? Hell, I was the first team in our league that had a practice bubble. Okay. Yeah. Bubbles is what Iowa does. All right. So if, if, if it weren't for the racial upheaval that went on this offseason, which who knows how they'll react? And yep. they may be done with it. They may not care. We won't know until we see them play. But if it weren't for that, this would be the perfect season for a team with a deeply embedded culture like Iowa to take advantage of it. That concludes part one of our talk with Steve Dace. Always fun to talk with Steve. That's why you'll be getting a second part next week. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. Um, we're going to kind of dive into more of the scheduling and why you may not want to put L's and W's into any columns. So be sure to stay tuned. Until then, I'm Joe Hugan, and this is Hawkeye Nation. Go Hawks!